and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is, of course, Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How about yourself? Doing well, Father. Great to be glad, here. Glad Great to, to be back for another week. Thanks um, be to God we can. Yes, absolutely, Father. I, I would like to uh, begin the program with some rather sad news. Just just recently, very recently, we uh, received word of uh, one of our prisoners from the Colorado area, uh, one officer, Eric Talley, who uh, was actually killed in the line of duty um, as, as a police officer. Um, certainly a very, very great man, Father. I understand he leaves behind his wife and seven children. He has been uh, very involved um, in our St. Thomas Aquinas uh, Boys Summer Camp every year. And um, Father, do, do you have any, uh, any comments, any remarks on this death of Officer Eric Talley? Uh, well, Officer Talley, uh, Eric Talley, very good friend, uh, very dear friend, uh, especially uh, close to Father Greenwell, the camp director. They worked closely together at the camp over the last four or five years, and uh, I would say that uh, Eric Talley was uh, not just uh, esteemed at the camp, but actually beloved. I don't think that word would be excessive, that he had the respect of everyone, and he was very much, uh, I would say, involved in the camp in all of its aspects. He was just willing to do whatever was needed uh, in all graciousness, humility, and uh, set a very good example. He's going to be sorely missed here on earth. We have uh, confidence in God's love for him, of course, and we can have some confidence in his love for God, too, from what we could see here on earth. And So we'll be praying for him continually and uh, he leaves here on earth, uh, wife, uh, dear wife Leah, and uh, seven children. Um, we need to help them in any way we can. Okay, we actually have a fund we've set up here at Immaculate Conception Church for that purpose. Um, there are also other funds that have been set up, I understand. Um, but this I set up before I was aware of any of the others. Um, but uh, especially for our the members of our church, I, I asked them they could ask them to, uh, you know, earmark uh, contributions for the family. So, uh, again, anybody who'd be willing to uh, chip in on this most important and uh, uh, charitable cause, uh, and in honor of um, Officer Talley's uh, service uh, to his country here, to the Boulder Police Department, the people of, of uh, Colorado, I think that'd be a very good thing to do. Um, I did not work with uh, uh, Officer Talley as closely as many others at the camp, but the time that I did spend with him, I, I must say, uh, I was very impressed. What a fine Catholic gentleman he was. And uh, of course, we do have confidence in the salvation of those who are faithful to Christ, but we cannot canonize anyone, right? And uh, it is our Lord alone who can say, come you blessed of my Father, and take possession of the kingdom. Um, so our place is to pray. And so we, I ask you to please continue to pray for him and pray for his family also. 
Absolutely, and Father, this uh, this this story, um, where apparently he, he died under very heroic, um, performing very heroic actions, and uh, just reading through some of the the national news articles that have mm -hmm. been running this story for the last day or so, um, it seems all of them, without fail, um, really extol uh, all of his virtues. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. one of them even even commended his faith in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. um, how they reference it. So it's very definitely very encouraging to see that, and just all of the uh, the mm -hmm. love and. Um, devotion that has, that has come forth. Well, he was not in any way ashamed or afraid to be known as one who had faith and hope and love for God and who loved his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He made it very clear uh, that he, um, uh, he, he had no reason to be ashamed of it because he lived his faith. Okay? Only hypocrites have reason to be ashamed of that uh, faith, but he had no reason to be ashamed of that whatsoever because he actually lived his faith and those who knew him admired him for that. Uh, that is true, Tom. The, the reports that we read across the board just show a real admiration for him. Yes. And uh, uh, that's wonderful to see, you know, the, the appreciation shown t to him. Um, and hopefully shown to God too, really. Um, but would, well, you know, in this case, um, Officer Talley was really the first responder, not just a first responder. He was the first responder about an active shooter at the uh, supermarket. And he was the first through the door. I understand he had a, a female officer, but he went through the door first and he took the bullet. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I'm afraid the the scurrilous politicians will be uh, trying to capitalize on his sacrifice by spinning it to serve their rather cynical political agendas. Uh, we have to re refuse to give in to that. Of all people, uh, Officer Talley himself, Eric Talley, would not want that, and he would reprove that, and he would want nothing to do with that. Some of the arguments that are going to be trying to, uh, made uh, of his death uh, to support this political program or that political program, uh, certainly things that he himself would not have supported in any way uh, during his lifetime, nor would he uh, support them even now, I'm quite confident, uh, especially now. So um, one has to be very wary of politicians now wanting to uh, spin uh, his life and his, and his death to serve their own purposes. And uh, not only uh, not not jump on the bandwagon these people, but actually reprove them for um, sort of being like like vultures circling overhead, you know, to try to find some kind of uh, you know support for their political agenda, leftist, because uh, Eric Talley was not a leftist; he was a Catholic. He was a fine Catholic. He was a traditional Catholic gentleman. And that's the most high praise I could give anyone, really. He was a traditional Catholic gentleman. Absolutely. In the full sense of the word. So. Well, Father, we will certainly keep Officer Talley and his wife and his children and uh, all of their extended family as well in our prayers. And I'm sure we can post the uh, information to, uh, to, the, to donate to the funds that you have mentioned. Um, well, so thank, you. thank you. I know Father that. Greenwell already had... Uh, had, uh, uh, shall I say, 
uh, worked for Eric Talley to do Hit the Camp for the, yes. for the, for the boys this year. And I know Officer Talley was looking forward to, to doing that, but God had other plans, really clearly. Cool. So, uh, the, uh, well, we have to yield to God's superior wisdom. If uh, he's uh, in heaven or out of his way, we're not, we wouldn't be selfishly calling him back. But at the same time, uh, we'll certainly miss him. That's right. Absolutely. Very much. Well, Father, if we could uh, move on to some viewer, viewer email. We had uh, several great questions that I'd like to bring to your attention tonight. And um, the first one is in regards to one of our recent programs where we uh, were covering the events of the end times. And you mentioned how some believe that there is this uh, thousand years of, of peace um, or something to that extent that will occur perhaps after the Antichrist and uh, before the actual end of the world, before the final judgment. One of our mm -hmm. viewers asked if that belief isn't the uh, heliism which has been condemned as heresy by the traditional Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, there is a heliism or millenarianism or millenism sometimes as it's called which is heretical, which is condemned by the church. It was what was held by the ancient Gnostics and, and more recently by the Protestants right, after the Reformation. The idea being that Christ will come uh, before the end of the world, even before the coming of the Antichrist, and there will be a 1,000-year worldly reign of Christ upon earth with his, with his saints. Um, this, this idea is reproved by the church, rejected by the Catholic Church. Um, nonetheless, I mean, one must be careful here because as, as one goes through the history of the church, one finds this kind of theological current. Uh, it kind of ebbed and flowed in the history of the church, and the church did not condemn a certain concept of this, necessarily uh, as heresy, okay? Um, it was never really the, I, I would say, the common position of theologians, though, or the fathers of the church, that there would be a thousand-year worldly reign of Christ. Um, so one has to be careful of that. I mean, there, there are certain uh, writers who seem to favor that idea, um, and they might even quote you know, an individual voice here and there, from Catholic prophecy speaking in favor of it. And yet, it never was actually the consistent teaching of the Catholic Church, or even the dominant teaching, predominant teaching of the Catholic Church, that there would be a thousand years reign of Christ with his saints here on earth. Uh, so we, we have to be careful uh, about that. There are those today, well, for example, uh, someone mentioned the uh, book Catholic Prophecy by Yves Dupont. And uh, the book seems to favor that idea, if I'm not mistaken. And I could be mistaken, but I th think the book favors the idea of a thousand-year reign between uh, the end of the tribulations uh, and the coming of the Antichrist, a kind of a thousand-year reign of Christ inserted between the two of them. And um, again, you know, I don't see that as being Catholic teaching as such. Um, even, you know, at Fatima, when Our Lady talks about all the tribulations that will come, and she says finally, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, but it will be late. 
Um, but then she says, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. I suppose some would like to interpret that as meaning that will start a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. <laughs> in fact, I didn't know in light of Catholic tradition if you could actually uphold that. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, there's plenty of evidence that the, uh, the tribulation will finally come to its climax with the coming of the Antichrist and not allow a thousand-year reign between the end of the tribulation and then the coming of the Antichrist after a thousand years. <clears throat> so um, one has to be, again, careful uh, about these things, you know. But in terms of what is condemned, no, uh, this is not what has been formally condemned by the Church's heresy. There is a false chiliasm and there is a false millenarianism, and the Church has spoken out against it. But these are currents of thought that were rife in Gnosticism uh, in the early years of the Church and in Protestantism in later times. Okay. Father, you, you mentioned uh, the writings of Yves Dupont, and one of our viewers referenced his, his book, The Coming Chastisement. Um, and in that book, um, apparently uh, the author frequently references one venerable Bartholomew Holzhauser. And our, one of our, our viewers would like to know if you're familiar with this venerable Holzhauser and, um, and also with this idea of the seven ages or seven periods of the church. Apparently this venerable Holzhauser frequently references uh, these seven periods or seven ages of the church and hmm. apparently um, these, these prophecies rather clearly show that we are now in the fifth uh, of the seven periods of the church. Are you familiar with any of this, Father? Well, Reverend Holzhauser, I've heard that before, but um, I, don't, I don't know what um, the church has said of his writings or of his prophecies. I don't know if the church has passed any real judgment on these things, as whether they are credible and worthy of belief, whether they are consistent with church teaching. I don't know. Uh, he certainly is not one of the more commonly mentioned uh, uh, seers, uh, even today. Um, as far as the seven periods of the church, I would assume that he's referring to the beginning of the book of the Apocalypse, talking about the seven angels and the seven churches. Um, in fact, I, I think there's even some reference to the fifth the fifth church, right, or the fifth period of the church's history. Well, the fathers of the church, again, in commenting on these, on these uh, um, seven angels of the seven churches, uh, you know, did speculate that they, these refer to the phases of history, the periods of history through which the church will, will go. Um, and I think it's, uh, there are a couple of mentions uh, even in this uh, progression of those who are, say they are children of Abraham, say they're, but they're the synagogue of Satan instead, right? And I think the fifth church is one of those that mentions that very specifically, that there are those who claim that they are uh, somehow of God, but they really are not, that they are of Satan. And uh, there are those who say that that applies to our own time. And I certainly personally could say that, yes, <laughs> definitely. That is the case. Um, I would say notably the modernists, as well as uh, other, you know, occultists, and I include the modernists among the occultists too, because of their concept of faith, which is not Catholic, but is really occultism. 
and uh, but also the Kabbalistic Jews and the uh, the Freemasons and so on. Uh, they are all very much, um, you know, uh, of a, of, a, of a, the same mind, the same starting point, and have the same goals. But um, in any case, uh, I couldn't really tell you a great deal about uh, Reverend Holtzhauser because I don't, just don't know that much about him. Um, but Yves Dupont is, does refer to him a goodly number of times. Uh, there, there are certain reservations I have uh, uh, about the book Catholic Prophecy by Yves Dupont. When I say certain reservations, I don't mean to say that there's no merit to it. I, I believe there is merit to it. I mean, evidently, he, he cites sources that are very well regarded in Catholic circles, and uh, which the Church herself, I think, has by way of tradition endorsed as being worthy of worthy of belief, not not divine revelation in the sense of public revelation, but uh, still that there's nothing contrary to the Catholic faith in them, right? So. Uh, you know, he quotes a, a plethora of sources there. But it puzzles me in the, that in the course of that entire uh, work, that he, uh, Catholic prophecy, uh, Yves Dupont mentions evidently Elias and Henoch, ultimately. So these two figures are of supreme importance. And yet, in the course of his work, the Catholic prophecy, or just Catholic prophecy, Yves Dupont mentions them only briefly, about three times, only in passing. I don't understand that. Uh, if you read chapter 13 of the book of the Apocalypse, you see that what is said of Elias and Henoch, their return as the two witnesses, certainly warrants in Catholic prophecy more than three passing references. And it seems that uh, Yves Dupont emphasizes uh, like the great monarch and the great pope and um, and he, he seems to emphasize uh, those and zero in on them, while at the same time um, just making kind of short work of Elias and Yacht. <laughs> uh, I don't understand that. It seems to me disproportionate. Um, something else, uh, he, uh, he gives a list of events that supposedly will happen in a certain order. He mentions the return of Elias and Henoch, one of the three times he mentions this. <clears throat> and then subsequent to the return of Elias and Henoch, he mentions the return of the Jews to Palestine. Well, the Jews have returned to Palestine. They returned to Palestine in the aftermath of the 1940s uh, effort you know, to restore them there. The idea of Elias and Henoch coming before them and then having fulfilled the prophecy of of uh, the book of the Apocalypse, that they would be slain and then they would rise and the Antichrist would be vanquished. That doesn't seem to have happened before the <laughs> Jews returned so. to Palestine. So, you know, Yves Dupont, for all of his uh, virtue and all the rest, um, he does mention that these are his own conjectures, that he cites prophecies, but he doesn't necessarily qualify to make prophecies himself, uh, as he readily agrees. So when he, he gives you his own conjectures about this, they can be true or false. And in this case, I think some of his conjectures have been proven false. Okay. Um, what I'd like to see is a, a greater 
in-depth treatment of the role of these two witnesses because uh, as Father Bernard Kramer mentions, it appears that when a true pope is uh, in exile or hounded to death and a usurper takes over in Rome, uh, a, a pretender pope, that it is these two witnesses who will actually be sent by God to guide the faithful uh, here on earth in their faith. So that's very significant, I think, and certainly warrants more than three, three mentions. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, that's my own. I'm not a prophet either, but that's my own, <laughs> my own thought. Okay. Well, Father, while we are on the subject of prophecies, there's, there's another one that's um, very relevant, I believe, and it's gained a lot of popularity in our own day. Um, this is uh, one apparently attributed to St. Francis of Assisi from the 13th century, although there's uh, uh, apparently a lot of um, many disputes about whether, whether or not this was, this was actually uh, truthfully from St. Francis of Assisi, but it's, um, I, I have the text here that one of our viewers mm -hmm. sent to us, and it's, it's rather lengthy, but it's just the, um, the more relevant, pertinent aspects of it. Um, St. Francis of Assisi apparently said, uh, at the time of this tribulation, he had spoken of a great tribulation, a man not canonically elected will be raised to the pontificate, who by his cunning will endeavor to draw many into error and death. And uh, some of the very last words of the uh, prophecy, St. Francis apparently said, For in those days Jesus Christ will send them not a true pastor, but a destroyer. So, Father, how familiar are you with this uh, apparent prophecy of St. Francis of Assisi? And do you think that uh, Francis uh, Bergoglio could possibly be uh, this destroyer who uh, St. Francis apparently references? Well, I understand there are those who dispute that citation from St. Francis. I forget exactly where it appears in his writings, or allegedly appears, uh, but I understand that uh, there are those who question its authenticity and say that it was the work of some kind of re renegade Franciscans, right? Um, and uh, it is true that the Franciscans uh, did have some offshoots, offshoots that were very radical, uh, you know, which the church actually had to had to condemn these these radical uh, offshoots, I would say, uh, and they did not truly represent the true Franciscans. So it's possible they could generate some apocryphal, you know, statement by Saint Francis. Um, nonetheless, I mean, there there is plenty of evidence uh, outside of the statement of Saint Francis. Uh, as such, uh, there is plenty of evidence that um, there will be a crisis of faith. I mean, St. Paul talks about that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, of a great apostasy, a great falling away. And there is plenty of evidence from Catholic prophecy also that uh, that falling away will be, gay, be at the top and uh, actually proceed from the top down. Now, with regard to Francis, I mean, we, we see something similar. Uh, the, 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 the attack on the church and the attack on our own country have, have some serious similarities, okay? How Francis was chosen by the radical leftists among the cardinals, 
Uh, there was plenty of the, 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 the St. Gallen Mafia. I mean, that has been very much exposed now. People realize that we've had this uh, Pact of the Catacombs and the St. Gallen Mafia, as it's called, Sancti Gallen, to, uh, to elect a radical modernist um, pontiff who would be actually not so much the vicar of Christ, but the uh, kind of uh, the pope of a new world order, the pope of a new religious order. And uh, Francis was, in fact, explicitly chosen for that very purpose. Um, they fulfilled, whether knowingly or unknowingly, I tend to think that they fulfilled it knowingly, the prophecy of the Freemason, uh, Nubius, who wrote the permanent instruction of the Alta Medita, to choose a pope who would think like a Freemason and think in a very worldly, worldly vein, and, uh, and who would be dedicated to the creation of a new religious order. Now we know what the new, the Nubius Ordo Seculorum is, uh, the new order of the world, okay? But in order to fuse the new world order, uh, uh, with the, the, the souls of mankind, you might say, in order to, to make that happen, to bring it together, it would have to be a religion, and it would have to be a religion that would embrace all mankind. Uh, all tyrants, all leftists have dreamed of uh, imposing an order that would have actual religious, inspire religious devotion. I mean, you look at communism, you look at Soviet communism, you look at Chinese communism right now. They want a religious devotion. They want absolute control of body and soul. Absolutely. So that no one can even imagine uh, disloyalty to them. Um, Father Becker, Father Frederick Becker, who was a prisoner of the communist Chinese, uh, talks about that in his recording uh, the two fists of communism, force and fear, how they want this absolute control, body and soul, uh, body and mind. I don't know if the communists as atheists would go in for a soul, but uh, insofar as they want absolute allegiance to the party and only the party, and there can be no loyalty to anyone but the party, not to father, mother, not to wife or husband, not to children, not to parents. Only the party draws all their relations, all their loyalty in the place of God himself. That's a religion. And so they want to impose their new world order as a religion upon all mankind. And they want to enthrone um, their God, right? And we know that will be the Antichrist. Um, so it was actually necessary that a man like Francis Bergoglio be, Bergoglio be put in charge. It was Jorge Maria Bergoglio um, that he be able to move the religion, especially to supplant the one true religion with the religion of the world. And uh, he's the combination of a series of modernists from John Paul, John, John the Twenty-Third, right on through who have called for a one-world uh, government, especially to control the economic order of the world and to enforce its decisions in all the governments of the world, supersede all the governments of the world.
Um, now, he's come out and explicitly stated, we have to now impose the new world order. He doesn't say we have to, um, uh, what should I say, encourage it or foster it. He made it very clear in what he said that we have to impose it. And, um, but basically what he, what he is, his role, his goal, his role, as they say, is to create uh, the new world religion. And uh, that's what he's very busy doing right now. So to that extent, he certainly is leading souls to damnation, leading the world to perdition. Um, so, in any case, whether that's, you know, and th that is regardless of whether that citation from St. Francis is authentic or not, mm -hmm. the idea expressed is what we're witnessing before our very eyes, the fulfillment of it. Right. Well, Father, that, um, that definitely um, leads us to the question of, of Seda Vicantism, uh, which I know we've discussed at length on this program, but... Right. Uh, actually, several of our viewers have sent us uh, the, the same quote from uh, the Church Militant website and wanted to get your response to it. Um, apparently, the Church Militant website says, quote, There is without question a crisis in the Church today, but the Church is still the Church. Jesus was no less God when he was beaten, bruised, and crucified. We live and move and have our being in a wounded, mystical body of Christ. If we cannot depend on Jesus to be faithful to his promises to the church, then upon what or whom can we depend? Father, how would you respond to that quote? I would say, well, I agree. What is the point, though? What does that have to do with city of Vicantism? It doesn't even mention it. Uh, how does that even apply? well apparently this is an excerpt from a from a larger uh, article but this this quote that he um, that he provides here is apparently in the context of Seda Vicantis who will say that um, you know the the current pontiff or the post Vatican II pontiffs cannot be true Roman Catholic popes uh, because of all the things that they have done and okay. here the church Melton website is trying to make the point well sure they have kind of bruised and battered the church but that does not mean that they are not true pontiffs of course the the body of christ he uses this this phrase a, a wounded mystical body of christ in reference to the the terrible things that the uh, post-conciliar popes have done well you know tom uh, i'm sorry but the logic uh in other words they jump from one thing to another you know and they don't make any lo real logical connection between them are they saying that the, the, the um, position that the modernist popes, and they are, right? they're, they're popes of something, uh, they are for a fact popes of a new, the new order. We know that for a fact. I mean, Francis has come out and said as much, right? Uh, the pope of the, of the new order. Can they also be the pope of the traditional Catholic faith and church? Can they be the vicar of Christ on earth? At the same time, they are the supreme pontiffs of the Novus Ordo and the, the new order and modernism, which St. Pius X says is the complexus of all heresies. Is it possible to be both at the same time? And there are those who say no, okay? So, I mean, is he trying to say, but what you're saying is, is to say that Christ has failed, that Christ has somehow failed in his promises? I mean, is that what they're trying to... Could they, could they be a little more specific in what exactly their question is? What are they trying to say? 
because you know you you talk about the state of accountant's position over here, and they come back with something that is supposed to be an objection, but they never actually address what you said. They just make some rambling uh, statement about the promises of Christ and the church failing, and it, the church is still the church, and so on and so forth. But of course, you're not you're not saying any of that is not true. You're not disagreeing with any of that. And what they're saying is nothing to contradict what you just said. The fact is that uh, the Catholic Church has, has uh, said that one can have as a, as a theological position that a man can, even, even a pope who is legitimately and truly elected and really is the supreme pontiff of the Roman Catholic Church, should he be guilty of explicit heresy, that uh, there, there is a theological argument that is a valid theological argument that the church admits is, a, is, is one that is Catholic and that does not in any way deny the Catholic faith to say that that pope would lose his office of papacy, that he would have lost the faith, and insofar as he defected from the faith, he would no longer be a member of the Catholic church, and he would not be the pope any longer, period. Now, is that a a viable Catholic position? It is. Yes, it is. I mean, it came down to us through fathers and doctors of the church and has never been condemned by the church. It has been uh, included in the writings of approved Catholic writers, right? As though it's a perfectly reasonable and permissible Catholic position to hold. Uh, now, one can argue whether those conditions are met by Francis or not. One can argue the question, does he fit you know, the criteria. But the fact is, that position itself is not in any way condemned by the Catholic Church. So, uh, why, who, who would give the Church militant or anybody else the, 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 uh, the nerve to stand up and say, well, the Church hasn't condemned that position, but I condemn it. On my own authority, I condemn it because. It seems to me that what you're saying is this, and I don't accept that. And uh, I think that takes a lot of nerve. <laughs> you know? um, now, I mean, accountism has to stand or fall on its own merits. I mean, you, you look at the question very um, theologically, and it's very stressed the th logically, the theologically in terms of Catholic tradition to determine whether what the merit of the Sedevacantus position is. You look at it, see the merits of it, look at the problems with it, and are there problems with it? Yes, there are. There are theological problems with state of accountism. Questions that simply won't go away, but beg an answer, um, that demand an answer. But, um, uh, you know, to simply out of hand uh, condemn and, and dismiss and anathematize the state of a position is not Catholic because the Catholic Church itself recognizes that a, a, even a, a, a certainly elected and, uh, and um, I don't know what they call it now, installed <laughs> or crowned uh, supreme pontiff can lose the papacy for, for heresy, for explicit open public heresy. There are those who claim that there would have to be a council called of bishops, the hierarchy would have to declare this the case. 
Um, and some say, well, that would solve everything, but the but it wouldn't solve anything because of the again you'd have those the naysayers who are saying, well, who knows, you know, if these 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 bishops got it right, you know, and and. Uh, one third of the bishops said no, whereas two thirds of the bishops said yes, and maybe the one third of the bishops are, are right, and um, there be continued arguments. Uh, so it's not as though that's really going to solve the problem. Um, are there are there solutions to the, the problems posed by sedevacantism? I do believe there are theological arguments that could serve, again, as solutions to the problems. But it doesn't mean that there are no problems with sedevacantism. Of course there are. The whole situation today is problematic. What I'd like to see is people stop arguing about that whole point. They can, they can logically discuss it, and they really should. This is something that needs to be logically, dispassionately discussed. As I tell married couples who are, say they're arguing about things, say, look, is what you're arguing about really important or not? Say, look, if it's not important, then it's certainly not important enough to argue about. And if it is really important, then it's too important to argue about. If it is really that important, it's something that needs a calm, thoughtful, just, and charitable discussion, right? In order to arrive at some kind of practical solutions. You don't argue about the really important things. You have to resolve them. And so I wish that the, those of the traditional Catholic mind, who still have the traditional Catholic faith and want to practice the traditional Catholic religion, would... Uh, you know, be able to sit down and actually discuss this in a very intelligent way, rather than just hurling anathemas at each other because of their preconceived notions. Uh, the fact is, the Catholic Church does admit of the possibility of a pope losing papacy for heresy, that that is not an anti-Catholic or un-Catholic position. Uh, let them discuss this matter. Uh, um, but the important thing is, let's all believe the traditional Catholic faith and practice the traditional Catholic religion and not get sidetracked by questions that uh, we're really, we can answer for ourselves insofar as we're convinced that there's an, of, of this answer to the question. And uh, we see people whose positions personally change over time, you know, on the question of sedevacantism even. But one thing that they do not change is that their resolve is to practice the traditional Catholic religion. And uh, that's what we should all agree on. And make sure that the Mass and the sacraments are valid because we have validly ordained priests and validly consecrated bishops. Um, so in any case, uh, there, I've said it again for about the thousandth time, and I'm sorry. We're not about that, but it just seems to be a stumbling block. Yes. yes. Well, one other thing I wanted to get into tonight, Father, is this email from a viewer who asks if you can give an update on uh, Viganos charges. He seems to have retired from public life. Will there be no consequences to the charges he has made against Cardinal McCarrick and other high-ranking princes of the Church? 
Will there be no consequences? I, I don't know. I mean, has, has Archbishop, he's not a cardinal, Archbishop Vigano retired from public life? Well, he's certainly audible and to some extent even visible because he does make appearances and he does publish letters uh, that have a wide following. Uh, he himself has uh, made statement after statement um, about Vatican II and uh, what's happening in our own country. As Apostolic Nuncio, one-time Apostolic Nuncio, he's very concerned about developments in our own country, notably about the most recent uh, um, election, so-called. So, um, I would not, in my own mind, say that he's retired from public life. I, I think his, his presence is just more uh, remote because, as was said when he revealed the horrible facts about uh, Francis's, um, um, shall I say, uh, protection of the uh, child abusers in the hierarchy and his promotion of them, notably McCarrick, uh, that uh, Archbishop Vigano said he had to go into hiding for fear that his life would be in danger. Personally, I think that would be very newsworthy of great significance that an archbishop would reveal that the newly elected Supreme Pontiff was a principal in the abuse of the children and a promoter of it, right, by, by protecting and, and uh, uh, protecting those guilty of it and promoting them into positions of power. And then, having said that, that this same archbishop who would reveal this said, I have to go into hiding now for fear that I will be assassinated because I, I, I revealed you know, this uh, about Francis. I would think that would be very significant in people's minds. Some people would not, is this possible that an archbishop would reveal such a thing and then think he has to hide for fear that he'll be assassinated by who? I mean, agents of, of Francis who want to kill him now? I would think that would be really significant. And yet the world just carries on as though, oh, well, you know, uh, turn the page, you know, it's another day. Another disaster. Let's see what the current uh, news is today. And they just uh, allow this condition to... Re if I were a, a Novus Ordo Catholic and I saw this happening, I would think, what in the world is going on here? What is happening? How can this be? An archbishop thinks the Pope is going to assassinate him for, uh, let's say, exposing his ties with the pedophiliacs you know, in the clergy and in the hierarchy. Um, but... No, you know, it seems to be hardly any reaction to this at all. So I think it just basically shows just the calamitous situation in the Novus Ordo and how completely corrupt it really is. That um, people just ho-hump that. And so, oh well, you know, so what? Well, if that's insignificant, I guess, you know, Tom, after Vatican II and what Vatican II did in trying to assassinate the Catholic Church, maybe this is small potatoes in comparison with that. and Maybe it's just not even newsworthy to many people. But this is what, this is what the Novus Ordo has done. It is just, um, it just poisoned the faith in people.
And, uh, you know, even those who, who, there are those today with regard to Francis say, well, there was a universal acceptance of Francis and a peaceful accession of Francis. And I would say, well, wait a minute now. Uh, if you're talking about universal acceptance, are you talking about universal, universal acceptance of the, the, the real Catholic people in the world? What, what about the, the vast majority of them who aren't even practicing anymore, even the Novus Ordo? But they're Catholic hardly and even name only. Is, is that part of the universal acceptance? Uh, does he mean, do they mean the universal acceptance of everybody in the world, the Hindus and the Buddhists and uh, atheists and so on? They all recognize Francis as Supreme Pontiff. Is that part of this universal acceptance? Or is universal acceptance, that very concept, uh, is that limited to those who are actually practicing the Catholic faith? Because if it means universal acceptance of a pope by those who are actually practicing the Catholic faith, that really narrows down the number of people here. And I would say, no, there was never universal acceptance of Francis by those who were actually practicing the Catholic faith. But there was always, even if not outright denials of St. Evacontis, there was always that question uh, and, and doubt about him, whether he had the faith to begin with. Um, I think if you were to um, be able to survey those who were actually practicing, and when I say practicing the Catholic faith, I don't mean practicing the Novus Ordo. That's a new order of religion. But I'm talking about those who are actually practicing the real traditional Catholic faith. I think you'd find that rather than a universal acceptance of Francis, like unquestioned, peaceful embrace of Francis as the vicar of Christ on earth, I think you'd find a great deal of reservation and doubt about him. He was faithful to Christ and trying to be, um, you know, live up to his true traditional Catholic faith. And in the line of duty, he's gunned down by some psychopathic uh, Muslim young man who had a grudge and felt that uh, he was entitled to uh, murder people. As it turns out, uh, ten people in all. And again, in line with what's going on today, of course, politicians will jump on this and try to use this as an argument for gun control and gun confiscation and so on. Something that Officer Talley would never have supported, actually. Um, in his assistance at our camp, he, uh, he actually, as a, as a police officer, had a role to play in, in helping the youngsters learn safe use of firearms and to respect firearms and be very wary of their power and how they must be used only for good. And you think of those who are in that supermarket out in Colorado <clears throat> and think, uh, well, all of the, um, the politicians are beating their drums now for, to disarm the citizens of the United States of America, that if any one of those citizens who was shot to death by that uh, homicidal maniac, poor deluded Muslim fellow, as it turns out, if any one of them had been armed, how many of them would still be alive today, including Officer Talley, 
Instead, it had to wait for him coming through the door to confront the man as a first responder, and he didn't even have a chance to respond, I gather. Um, did he, his death save the life of others? Yes, I think uh, the officer was ready to follow him through that door. Um, well, I think her life was spared because he took the bullet. But, um, you know, you, you think about the importance of um, everything he stood for, and I, I think he would have he wished himself, not only in retrospect, but even during his lifetime, that there were armed citizens there who were ready to defend themselves, because he knew very well the police couldn't defend everyone all the time. And uh, there are many lives that could have been spared if any one of them were able even to pin the shooter down, even if they didn't hurt him or kill him, just to keep him busy, you know, so he couldn't be just at will uh, gunning people down. Uh, there are those who would like to take away the power of the good people to defend themselves, to defend themselves against uh, psychopaths, to defend themselves against psychopaths in politics to defend themselves against psychopaths in government, <laughs> you know, the Stalins and the Hitlers and the, and the Mao Zedongs and so on. There are those who would want to disarm us so we could not defend ourselves against psychopaths anywhere. Well, uh, in our country, uh, we do have the Second Amendment, right? And um, sometimes the only way to stop a, a bad man with a gun is if there is a good man with a gun, um, who will use his weapon as the knights of old to protect the defenseless. Um, so we, uh, just to return to where we started here, I ask you to please keep Officer Tally in your prayers. He represents the very best, the very best our country has to offer as far as true, you know, a true Christian gentleman and what we'd really want in law enforcement, true law enforcement, and the officers of the peace. Mm -hmm. Father, could we uh, perhaps end with any words of encouragement to get us through the rest of Lent? We're only a matter of days away from Holy Week. So oh, we're in Passion Time right now. Passion time, um, that's yeah. true. The Sunday is Palm Sunday, right? And I think the lesson of Palm Sunday is something very good to be in front of us. Uh, and in light of uh, even the death of uh, Eric Talley, you know, we take the palms of Palm Sunday, the people were laying the palms at our Lord's feet, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were glorifying our Lord, glorifying our Lord. And so he, they accepted him as the, the great conquering hero, the Messiah who had come. And, uh, and just days later, they were going to be crying, crucify him, crucify him. And uh, we think of the emptiness of the glory of the world, how those palms are, are saved and then brought back to the church to be reduced to ashes where they're blessed to give us ashes on Ash Wednesday for the beginning of the following Lenten season. It just shows the glory of the world, nothing. That this world has nothing for you. It has nothing for me. It's nothing for anybody. Even if they name bridges and buildings after us, and by the way, we do intend to name the, the new building being put up at camp. We want to dedicate it to the memory of Officer Eric Talley. And, uh, but 
you know, is that going to in any way benefit him before the judgment seat of God? We want to honor him on earth by a building you know, that recalls him, uh, but it is only the virtue and the goodness and the sacrifice he made that motivates us to want to put his name on that building. And it's the goodness and the virtue and the dedication and sacrifice that he made that alone can actually, um, you know, bring him to our Lord and uh, to our Lord's embrace, loving embrace in heaven. Uh, so the building itself isn't going to add to the glory of Eric Talley, you know, we'd like to use it for the glory of God. But it's the sacrifice the man made that, that moves us to want to honor him. That's the sacrifice that opens the, the, you know, the sacred heart of Jesus to him, to welcome him there. So um, we, we just have to keep in mind that the only thing this world really has to offer for us, no matter what the world may think of us after we're gone, and how the world might honor us or dishonor us, it doesn't matter one bit. The only thing the world has to give you is a grave. That's all. That's all the world has to give you. The only thing the world has to give me is a grave. <laughs> that might be pretty soon for all I know, I mean, at my age. Um, but then there are many people who don't even have that. There's so many people who have lived and died and they don't even have a grave in the world. What in the world is there for them? What in the world is there for us that really matters? Satan, at the beginning of Lent, took our Lord to the high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and offered them to him if our Lord would just fall down and, and worship Satan. Oh, how Satan craves that. You know? uh, and our Lord just said, Be gone, Satan. You know? The Lord thy God shalt thou serve, and him alone shalt thou adore. And that has to be our answer. That's the answer with everything. Uh, everything this world has to offer is going to be reduced to ashes, right? Uh, reduced to dust from, you know, which are, it came. And, um, and we ourselves with it, physically, our bodies. The soul alone remains. And uh, we should live for that. We should live for the life of the soul. And the life of the soul is God and His grace, sanctifying grace. That has to be what our life is all about. So I guess I would just appeal to people here as they come to the last few, um, like 10 days of Lent here, and uh, begin, come to uh, commemorate by actually reliving the passion and death and resurrection of our Lord, that this is really the, the meaning of life and the only meaning of life there can possibly be, really. Um, and to really, as our Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God and his justice. And everything else of any value will be given you. That that will be your reward. You know? So, anyway, I hope that's a good enough message because I think it is the message of the, the entirety of Holy Week. From Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Father, thank you for being here tonight. God bless oh, yeah, you. You're welcome, Tom. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. God bless you all. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.